Good morning. So good to see all of you here. And uh, so good, I can't see you, but I'm glad that you're joining us online. Those of you who are tuning in, we're all tuned in and ready to hear from God this morning. And I know that we are all coming off a really long weekend, kind of a nice long weekend, right? With, uh, with big giant gatherings, we were all crowded in together all weekend, right? Macy's Day Parade, we got to see all the crowds and football, we got to see, yeah, no, right? Reality check, it's 2020, none of that happened. In fact, so many of the things that we normally would have done this last Thanksgiving got hijacked, didn't they? Uh, the state of where we are in is pretty crazy right now, and yet we, uh, we see God at work. Um, this may not have been a picture-perfect weekend, uh, Thanksgiving weekend for all of you. It, it was a little different for my family and I. My oldest son, Reed, is a college student down in Phoenix, and uh, his girlfriend had COVID over Thanksgiving, and so she was quarantined. They take all the kids uh, there at the college and, and put them in a hotel uh, when they have COVID, and so she was quarantined there, and Reed was quarantined in his apartment, and so their Thanksgiving meal was uh, Chinese food eaten via FaceTime. Isn't that romantic? <laughs> so that left my husband and I and our youngest son, Adam, up here, and it was just the three of us for Thanksgiving dinner. And so we asked Adam to design Thanksgiving dinner. Any idea what he chose? Think 17-year-old guy brain. Everybody has said pizza. No, Kentucky Fried Chicken and macaroni and cheese. <laughs> so I kind of liked it. There was, there was a lot less cleanup. But... Uh, I wonder how many of you had an atypical Thanksgiving meal. Probably one of my favorites that I saw on social media was this one, the Turk Kraken. <laughs> Somebody had to get really creative with that baby. That's a little, yeah, a little freaky. I might just have to, yeah, may dream about that this year. <laughs> well, it may be an atypical year where, uh, where the things that we were planning didn't turn out the way they thought, or we thought they would. And some people really like traditional. Some people really like um, things that we can count on, predictable, safe, ordinary. We like things going uh, the same way every year so that there are no surprises. So what do we do when we come to a year like 2020 where we can't count on predictable, safe, or typical anything? A year when it gets really messy, especially as we head into Christmas season. Today marks the first day of Advent, and the word Advent is actually Latin for coming. It, uh, it is the season in which we remember Jesus Christ's first coming to the earth. And over the next four Sundays of Advent, we will prepare our hearts to celebrate. We'll remember why we celebrate, and then on Christmas Day, we'll celebrate Jesus Christ. So for many, Advent season is the anticipation of a celebration. But what happens when that celebration gets a monkey wrench thrown in it by a quarantine? Right? Or an argument with family over who should mask, over who should be there, who's loving who, who's trampling on whose rights, who believes what about the election and politics. For some, the monkey wrench might actually feel a little bit more like a sledgehammer, right? As you have to factor in a loss, a loss of income, a loss of someone you loved, a loss of health this year. So how do we approach Advent season like that? Well, first you put the sledgehammer down, Okay. And then we make a choice. And we choose to enter this season with joy and anticipation. Because if this is what God has given us, we can anticipate that he's doing something big. And there's something far beyond our imagination in front of us. 
This morning I want to take a look at a, a gentleman in the Bible who was facing a pretty messy Advent season himself. So if you will, go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. If you're online with us, you can go ahead and click on the Bible tab. It'll appear. Uh, so Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. You've heard this before, this story. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So here's our guy, right? Joseph, young Jewish dude. He's upright in every way. He's a carpenter by trade. He works hard, and he's really looking forward to this next season of life with his fiancée, Mary. In Joseph's day, people married really young. So scholars put Mary at somewhere around 13 and Joseph somewhere around 22-ish. Marriage was not so much an agreement between two people as it was an agreement between two families. So Jacob, who was Joseph's dad, sought, sought really hard for the perfect bride for Joseph, but also the perfect connection between two families. And the betrothal was a lot like what we understand engagement to be, right? An engagement now, um, usually about six months to a year long, and, uh, and it was legally binding. And the biggest difference was that uh, betrothal could not be broken except by a certificate of divorce. There were actually two ceremonies that Mary and Joseph were facing. The first was their betrothal, and the second would have been their wedding. But here they are in this in-between period, kind of this year-long anticipation period. And I think of Joseph and what he might be anticipating for his future with his beautiful bride-to-be, Mary, for one thing, he'd be anticipating the wedding, right? In Jewish tradition, the groom would be dressed in his finest garments, and he would be wearing a crown of gold or silver on his head, depending on his, on his father's income. And all of his friends would be gathered around him on that day. They'd all be celebrating, slapping him on the back. They'd be excited with him. And once he was all ready, there would be this huge procession from Joseph's father's house to Mary's father's house. And they would be going through the streets celebrating and singing, and everybody would be uh, peeking outside their door celebrating with them. And then they would come to Mary's father's house, and there would be Mary. And she would have been bathed and perfumed and all decked out in this gorgeous dress. And Joseph and Mary would come under the chupa, or the wedding canopy, where, where they would hold this wedding ceremony. And before God and all their friends and family, they would declare their devotion and their commitment to each other. And then they would be escorted to a bedroom set aside for them where they would consummate the marriage while everyone else partied outside. Quite a ceremony. That's not quite where we find our young carpenter, though, in the verses that we just read. We find Joseph on the front end of that, a bit nervous, probably excited, anticipating the day when he and Mary can finally come together. And then Mary asked to see him, and she says three little words that rocked his world. She says, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And boom, silver cloud comes crashing down, right? And all that anticipation turns to grief and disappointment and, and wonder, like, really? Really? And betrayal. Jewish tradition tells us that Joseph had basically two choices in this situation. He could drag Mary, the woman he loved, before the Jewish elders to be stoned to death. The woman he loved. Or... He could divorce her quietly without making a scene. And I can almost see his face, and I, I can almost see the anguish on his face and imagine what he's thinking. It wasn't supposed to be like this. I wonder if you've been there this year. 
not Joseph's circumstances, of course. But I, I know that many of us have had similar thoughts about 2020. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Some of you had the wedding of the century planned, right? Only to end up with five people in your backyard on Zoom. Not what you had planned. Some of you had the vacation of the century planned, right? You've saved up for years. The kids are so excited. And you find out the resort's still open, but the pool's closed. The workout room's closed. Water slides are closed. Theme park is closed. Shopping's closed. You're in a hotel room with your kids and a TV. <laughs> Woo! Then there's those of you who are seniors. Some of you students were looking forward to your final soccer, football, volleyball season of high school. Canceled. Right? Let's not even talk about graduation ceremonies or, or memorials for those that we've lost this year or 30-year-old businesses closing their doors. This has been an atypical year unlike any other where nothing that we were anticipating, nothing that we were looking forward to has turned out anything like what? We dreamed it would. COVID. China's COVID became our COVID. Became COVID fear, became COVID loss, became the COVID-19 that we all packed around our middles. Became COVID anger. Became COVID masks, became COVID politics, became COVID or pandemic fatigue, became COVID isolation, became another COVID shutdown. And this is the way that we're supposed to enter Advent season? Really? This is the way we're supposed to celebrate? How do we anticipate and look forward to Christmas when it's all so messy? Because what about grandma and grandpa's health? What about traveling? What about shopping? What about quarantines and masks and socially distanced Christmas dinners? Seriously? What do we do with the mess? Because 2020 was not supposed to be this way. Or was it? 2020 is what we were given. A pregnant fiance is what Joseph was given. There was no going back and undoing what was done or what had been done. And there is no changing the messy circumstances that we live in today. But there is a choice that we all have in where to place our focus in the middle of the mess. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus was a master later on in his life, a master at coaching his followers through a mess. There was a time that I'm reminded of at the end of his life uh, here on earth when Jesus was sitting with his best friends, the disciples, and he was telling them what to come, what was coming. He said, life's going to get really rough, guys. It's not going to be pretty. He told them that they would be kicked out of the synagogue, scattered and separated from each other. He told them that some of them would actually be killed for their faith. And then he said, and I'm leaving you. I'm going to the Father, leaving them after all they'd been through. I wonder if they may have had a, a COVID meltdown moment themselves. But then Jesus said this. He said, I tell you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus didn't skirt around the truth that his friends were in for a storm. He wasn't dismissing the pain or, or the loss or the frustration that they would feel. He simply said, it's going to get messy, but take heart, meaning have courage. Take heart, meaning you don't have to fear the mess or the trouble that's coming. Take heart, meaning be of good cheer. Take heart, meaning walk in joy because Jesus conquers all sin, all death, all disease, all hatred, all relationship issues, all financial burdens, all politics, all family arguments, all betrayal. All the things that we feel are going to get in the way and steal our joy this Christmas season. 
Jesus has the ultimate say in how it all turns out, and we can find joy in that truth. Jesus, the Son of Man and Son of God, told his disciples to take heart. And I believe he would tell us here today, in 2020, to do the same. Take heart. 1 John 5 says this, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I wonder if you believe that today. I wonder if you've been wrestling with that belief, wrestling with whether or not to put your belief, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe those of you online watching, there's one of you who needs to say yes to Jesus today. That's all you have to say is yes. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of Man, Son of God, and I put my faith in you today. If you will do that, I want you to signify that by, by tapping on the button that just popped up on your screen. Those of you in here can do the same. Say yes to Jesus. Because he has overcome the world. And he gives us the power to overcome any mess that we are facing. So what does that look like in practical terms? Well, in this first day of Advent, it means that we anticipate Jesus. We have the beautiful benefit of knowing the rest of Joseph's story, don't we? We know that an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and he spoke the most incredible words to him. He said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that Joseph, Joseph didn't say, holy cow, what, what the heck was that? I must have eaten some really bad hummus last night before bed. That was the weirdest dream. All right, let's get on with this divorce thing. No, he didn't say any of that. He said, I love this woman. And I love God. And so I'm going to believe the message that God gave me from the angel. And from that moment forward, Joseph anticipated Jesus' arrival. He looked forward to seeing him, loving him, being with Jesus. And in this Advent season, we can do the same. We can anticipate Jesus, meaning that we get to look forward to watching him work us through the mess of our circumstances. These are the times we've been given. And so we can expect Jesus to work in and through us with just the right response to our mom's fear, just the right pearl of wisdom to our uncle's political rant, just the right level of peace and comfort that we need. And you better believe that if Jesus fed the masses with five loaves and two fishes, that he can supply just the right amount of toilet paper for your household down to the last square. Anticipating Jesus means that we look forward expectantly to watching his plans unfold in our circumstances, and then we keep our focus on him. Focusing on Jesus is not a one-time event. When messy times draw out as long as COVID has, we need to consistently keep Jesus in our focus, and that takes intentionality. It takes consistent reminders that our circumstances, the state of our nation, our health, our family, that those aren't the things that define us. The author of Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And our faith flourishes when Jesus stays in our focus. On June 18th, 2019, our family was challenged to do just this, keep our focus on Jesus for the long term. It was that day that my husband, John, suffered a traumatic brain injury. I happened to be home that day. I, John and I were going to run some errands together, and he wanted to finish a little tractor work behind our shop. So he was out um, 
doing that, and I was waiting for him to finish up and waiting and waiting and waiting, and pretty soon I just heard the tractor idling. It wasn't moving forward, and so I walked out to just check in and see how far longer, how much longer he would be, and I could see John in the driver's seat, um, but he was kind of moving funny, twitching, and almost like he was being stung by a bee. So I called to him as I went towards him, and he turned to me, and I could see the look on his face. He was there, but not really there. He was either coming into or going out of a seizure, and it's a look I know well. Our family has lived with John's epilepsy for 30 years, but never in our 30 years has John had a seizure in the middle of the day. They're always waking hour seizures and very well controlled with medication. What followed was a series of more seizures and then a week in the hospital before John was lucid enough to remember that he had fallen off his tractor and hit his head on a rock. The last thing John remembered was coming to and staring at the sky and then climbing back on the tractor where I found him. I saw Jesus move in so many ways that day through the fact that I happened to be home on a weekday instead of at work, the fact that the tractor turned into a hillside and was idling against the hillside instead of turning over the 13-foot wall that holds up our driveway. I saw Jesus and our friends Mike and Tisa and Shauna and Ray who hung out at the ER with us for hours bringing prayer and humor to our situation. Over the last 17 months, our family has had to fix our eyes on Jesus as we've, as we've watched John wrestle with debilitating headaches, the loss of his driver's license for a while, the loss of much of his long-term memory, the loss of his ability to read or retain information, the loss of a big chunk of our income, the perceived loss of purpose and just this past summer, the loss of his 20-year career in medicine. My family stands on the heels of a lot of loss. And yet I recognize that it's not unlike a lot of you out there or those of you watching. We've all suffered losses this year. But here's what John and I and the rest of our family has discovered. It's that focusing on our losses, keeping our face down and focusing, keeps us buried in them. Unable to recognize what we still have. But focusing on Jesus, lifting our eyes intentionally, keeps us moving forward as we see him lay out our steps, step by step, by step. I wish I could say that we don't feel the losses so acutely after 17 months. We're not quite there yet. But what I can say is that our focus on Jesus has carried us through because our hope in Jesus is not just that he will get us through the present. He will. But it's also that he will carry us forward into our future. Our hope is not just in our now. Our hope is in tomorrow because Jesus Christ tells us that he has a place waiting for us in heaven. John 14 says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I hung my hat on that passage. And so with that passage in heaven in mind, and as the wife of a very determined man who jumped right back on the tractor, <laughs> I've had to release my husband to Jesus this year. He's not mine to keep. His ultimate home is in heaven. And he's not mine to control, although poor John, he, uh, he married a little bit of a control freak. But experiencing, John, or experiencing Jesus work us through the mess. And remembering the future that we have in Jesus has given John and I a joy and a depth in our relationship that you can only, can only be attained as a, as a couple travels through a storm with their eyes on Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, Be cheerful no matter what. 
pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happened. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. I'm going to say it again. These are the times that we have been given. And if we have committed our lives to follow Jesus, then we better know that our circumstances do not define God's goodness. No, because no, what, no, matter, because no matter what happens, Jesus has a plan. And we can thank him for his plan and make every effort to live like him. You know, our life group is, uh, is reading a book right now that is the opposite of what any driven type A, get her done personality like me likes to read. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Are you kidding me? They announced that and I was like, seriously, <laughs> like my middle name is hurry, but it's good in, in kind of an acupuncture, mole removal, cavity filling kind of way. Um, there is a section that I really, really like about this book, though, where the author talks about how Jesus lived, that Jesus was fiercely present wherever he went, with whoever he was with, in whatever mess he was operating with. John Mark Comer is the author of this book, and he says this, the rootedness in the moment and connectedness to God, other people, and himself weren't the byproduct of a laid-back personality or pre-Wi-Fi world. They were the outgrowth of a way of life. Later on, John says, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It's very simple. It means you live the way Jesus lived. You take his life and teachings as your temple, your model, and your pattern. Think with me about what we know about how Jesus lived his life. We know that he met regularly with his father, God, even getting up early in the morning before anyone else was up to have a kind of coffee sunrise, pour out his soul, pep talk with his father. We know that he rested one day a week and he sought to live simply. And we also know that he loved big and he served well. He put God and others before himself. And because he laid out the template for us, we can do the same. So what if we rearranged our priorities this Advent season to live like Jesus did? Really all that means is that we just copy what he did. He spent time with the Father. We can spend time with the Father. And maybe you just said yes to Jesus for the first time and you don't have any idea what that looks like. YouVersion Bible app is a great place to start, just reading his word, praying. Some friends of mine and I started a, an, an online Facebook group to help other people learn uh, how to follow Jesus. It's called Friends Helping Friends Know Jesus. You have an incredible staff available to you here to teach you at North Church to spend time with the Father. Jesus sought the Father's advice when life gets dicey. We can do the same. We can seek his, or his advice for big stuff. We have some big questions, right? Whether or not to go to Grandma and Grandpa's house for Christmas, whether or not to travel, whether or not to go on unemployment or, or continue the job search. We have big questions. Jesus has big answers. If only we'll ask him. In addition to time with God, Jesus' life revolved around other people. Think about what you've read in the Bible of Jesus doing. Most of the stories we read are Jesus pouring in to someone else, visiting the sick, providing a healing word or touch for, for them, encouraging those who were grieving, feeding those who were hungry. What if we rearranged our priorities this Advent to do what Jesus did? Maybe the Christmas lights for your house aren't supposed to be for your house. Maybe they're supposed to go on someone else's house. You know, the neighbor down the street that has been in quarantine, no hope of getting Christmas lights up for them this year. 
What if you really poured in to your child's overworked, overlooked, underpaid teacher? You know, the one that's so stressed, just trying to keep it together so that your kid can still have an education. What if you poured into him or her with prayer and encouragement and intentionality this Christmas? What if the toilet paper from Costco is not for your stockpile, but given to your neighbors down the, here in the house down the street, you know, the one that smells like skunk minus the black and white animal? And maybe it's not just the teepee, but maybe it's the Christmas dinner with your full blessing for people who would never expect something like that from somebody like you. You see, these aren't just ideas out of, the bl- out of the blue. I think that these are examples of how Jesus would live if he were you or if he were me here on this earth. And you know the best part of living like Jesus did? It produces joy in us. It feeds us and fills us, produces joy beyond compare, and joy is actually a great reminder for how to prioritize and navigate this Advent season. Sand stands for this, simply joy. Putting Jesus first, then others. And then ourselves. And this isn't dismissing ourselves. This is filling ourselves with more and more of what Jesus would do. So here's the encouragement. I just want to encourage us all to decide now how to approach the Advent season differently. It's a different year with more challenges than ever. And this is the year that he has given us. This is the day that he has given us. There's an old song that I used to sing with my kids. It says, This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Ooh, I got through that one. I like to think that Jesus has a Lauren Daigle button for my voice every time I sing. (laughs) You guys don't have that. Sorry. But think about the lyrics. It's the lyrics I'm getting at. This is the day that we've been given. These are the times that we have been given. And yes, some of these times may be really dark, but when do you see a star shine brightest? It's not when it's sunny out. It's not when everything is really rosy. You see a star shine the brightest when it's dark and people can't see their way. Jesus is the bright morning star. And my question is, will we let him shine through us this Advent season? Because this is our time to shine as Christ followers. Let's not waste these times that we've been given. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we just want to acknowledge you as the bright morning star. We want to acknowledge that in the middle of of really dark, crazy seasons when everything seems like it's going nuts, you got it all under control. Even when we can't see how you're working, Our lack of sight does not mean that you are not working. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for every one of us here, every one of us watching, that you make a way for us to live in this mess and not just survive the mess, but truly shine for you in this mess, to draw other people and point them back to you. Lord, that you make a way for us to answer all these big questions that we have. And that our loss is not for naught. That you have purpose every single time we face something hard. You have purpose in navigating us through the mess and the loss. And so today we just want to say thank you. 
And I want to ask for all of us, Lord, that you would give us courage to look beyond the mask, look beyond our times, look beyond the politics, look beyond the, rea the reaction that we get from other people, and that we would act and react like you would if you were here, Jesus. You live in us, live through us. We open our hands to you. And we enter this Advent season anticipating what you are going to do because we know it's going to be glorious. We'll give you all the praise. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. <laughs> I love that, Macy. Hey, this is the time in our, in our uh, service where we actually get to continue worshiping Jesus. And we get to do that with our tithes and offerings. There's a few ways up on the screen that you can give. Those of you online can, uh, can give as well. But I just want to ask that you would pause and ask the Lord before we sing what your reaction to this Advent season should look like. And then we'll worship together. you stand as we continue to worship. Just gone through the motions, I'm sorry When I just sang another song Take me back to where it started I open up my heart to you I'm sorry When I've come with my agenda but I forgot that you're alone. Take me back to where I started. I open up my heart to you. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here.
We're super thankful you guys were able to join with us this morning. 
Man, if you would like some prayer, in a few moments, somebody's going to pop up something on your screen where you are able to click and somebody's standing by to pray with you right now. Also, if you'd like to get connected, feel free to hit that connect button. That will shoot you right over to the northchurch.net where you can fill out a connection card where one of our pastors would love to help you get further connected here at North Church. We hope you have a wonderful week and God bless. Thank you.